You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome into a Pi Day edition of Crunch Time right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and World Series champion Houston Astros. Matt Miguez here. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. And here in Acadiana, you can check us out on our simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. Broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette, Evco Development is a civil construction company specializing in new multifamily construction. Michael Thomas is returning to New Orleans. Surprised? Yeah, maybe a little bit. Even more surprising, Jameis Winston is back in New Orleans? Yeah. Hmm. That's intriguing. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about Will Wade's introductory press conference in Lake Charles yesterday. It was also announced that included in his contract is a five-game suspension to begin the season. Uh, McNeese may be being a tad bit proactive there. So we'll talk about that, and we will preview Tennessee and Louisiana in the NCAA tournament throughout today's show. But once again, hit us up on the game hotline, 337-706-0111. Bring in my producer and co-host now, Mr. James Mesh. James, 3.14, happy Pi Day to you, sir. What's up, Matt? How are you? Doing good. How about can you? you? How, how much of Pi can you, can you recite offhand? Uh, like three point one four one five, and then it like, I I used to be able to, me. I used to be able to do like the first ten. It's like three point one four one five seven nine six. I don't know. I'm actually curious about that. Now. Further further than me, I I definitely couldn't have gone that far. I, I know three point one four. Three point one four one five nine two six five three five nine, and then that's as much as Google's given me off top. So. In honor of Pi Day, uh, a sub-conversation that we're going to have throughout the show, go to pizza toppings. I know it's not a, it's, I know it's not a Foodie Wednesday, but in honor of Pi Day, we, we kind of have to do this. Or if you're, if you're a dessert kind of person, what's your, what's your favorite pie? I don't like pie. I just don't. We, we've talked about this. I've been ridiculed for this before. I don't like pie. Um, but a pizza... Ooh, buddy, your boy can tear up some pizza. We'll talk about that later on in the show. Looking at some top stories in sports. Again, Michael Thomas returning to New Orleans on a one-year deal. It is a one-year $10 million deal that could pay Thomas up to 15 if he hits certain incentives. James, this is... Interesting and surprising, but at the same time, it's not. It's a beautiful scenario. It really is. It couldn't have worked out better for the Saints. And and really and truly, it couldn't have worked out better for Mike Thomas. Because here's the thing. And, and obviously, this is a this is a godforsaken circumstance here. Say he gets hurt again. Mm-hmm. He still gets paid enough, but it's not going to kill the Saints it's, either. It's not going to cripple them. Correct. 
his previous deal, if he got hurt again, that cripples the Saints. This one, not so much. But this is a prime opportunity for Michael Thomas to get healthy, prove his worth, hit those incentives making even more money, and then like his Twitter bio currently says, in the 2024 offseason, we'll talk about it, you go get paid. Because Mickey Loomis has shown he's not afraid to pay Michael Thomas. He's willing to pay Michael Thomas. But Michael Thomas has to be on the field and productive in order to get paid. I don't care who you are. I'm not paying to do $30 million a year to sit on the bench. Just not. If Drew Brees would have had an injury history where he missed you know, several games a season for three straight years, we probably would have talked about moving on from Drew Brees. You just can't pay a guy that much to sit on the sidelines consistently. Um, So if Mike stays healthy and proves himself this year once again, I think it's a great move for New Orleans. I think it's a great move for Michael Thomas. A move that is interesting to me is Jameis Winston. So clearly... Right, because you were like, "Mm, no, he's not coming back. Clearly there were no starting opportunities for him because otherwise... If there was, he would have probably taken that. Well, then, yeah. You look at him, you're like, backup job or have another opportunity to prove myself as a starter. Hmm. Right. The balance tips. Well, of course. <laughs> and then, but here, here's the other thing. And I get staying in a franchise that you're comfortable with in a system that you understand, you know, things of that. I, I get all of that. But if I'm Jameis Winston, as a human being, do you not feel just a tad bit slighted for the way things went down last year? Doesn't that kind of go, you sure you want to go back to that? Because if he got a backup contract with the Saints, couldn't he have gotten a backup contract anywhere else? So I'm interested in one I'm interested in finding out how that conversation with Jameis Winston went because again I, I get the comfort, I get the familiarity. But as a human being, aren't your feelings hurt about the way the Saints treated you last year? I mean, for people like us from the outside, you very easily could say that, but I've mentioned before, I don't think it was nece- I don't think it was personal between Dennis Allen and Jameis Winston. I think they had heart-to-heart talking about before, like, look, we feel like Andy Dalton will help us better win games. It's not a slight against you. It's just based on how this team is constructed right now, we feel like going with the red rifle is a better option at quarterback right now. And even then, if Jameis were to have left, now he's got to learn a whole new system. He's got to go back, go to a different team, go be a backup somewhere else, and learn the system in case he is to play at least if he is to play because Derek Carr gets injured, well, then he's already had three years in this system to at least run it smoothly enough. And we've seen what he can look like when he's healthy. He can run it pretty competently. So you going to say, I don't know, like let's say Kirk Cousins gets injured and you got to go play in Kevin O'Connell's offense. You've never played in Kevin O'Connell's offense. you got to learn that and let's say you get in like week six. Well, now, No, I mean, I, I get it. I, from from that standpoint, I I totally get Jameis wanting to come back to New Orleans. Yeah, 
but I don't I don't think I don't think it's as emotionally damaging as we thought it was. Look, I'm happy. That that's a perfect backup situation for the Saints. Jameis Winston is an incredible backup quarterback and he's a locker room guy and all of that. So it's 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 a great move for the Saints. Just kind of caught me off guard a little bit. Uh, I, I definitely didn't see that one coming. Um, looking at some other moves in the NFL, how about the Giants trading for Raiders tight end Darren Waller? Danny Cornhole, more options. Let's and all, go. And all they had to give up was a third rounder. I mean, it, it's it's like a lot of people nowadays, a lot of players, whenever you see them get injured a lot, Which, even though even though your talent doesn't diminish, your value diminishes because it's like, well, you don't have a lot of lot to go off of recently of, oh, you're healthy, so Which, we by see the you on way, the field a lot. The third round pick that they traded was the third round pick that they got from the Chiefs mm-hmm. for Kadarius Tony. Yep. It so was in the end, you Kadarius traded Kadarius Tony for Darren Waller. Right. If you're the Giants, do you, do you feel like that maybe worked out? Yeah. Maybe a little bit. Looking at a couple other deals, how about the Washington Commanders releasing running back JD McKissick? Um, could the Saints pick up JD McKissick? That's an interesting move. He I, he's not a great running back, but he fits what the Saints need. Also, the Cowboys beefing up their secondary with five-time Pro Bowler Stefan Gilmore being traded from the Colts to the Cowboys for a fifth-round compensatory pick in this year's NFL draft. Trayvon Diggs, Stephon Gilmore in the same secondary? Yikes. Let's go to the game hotline now. Ralph, what's going on? What's going on, man? Well, it's pretty obvious um, in the NFC the dominoes are falling for, for uh, I mean the AFC, uh, uh, NFC, AFC. But uh, with the uh, Lazard signing today, the Jets, uh, I guess the um, Aaron Rodgers, you know, thing is true. He gave his wish list to them and, they're checking off all the boxes, and um, so I guess uh, I guess AA Ron is heading to the Jets after all. Yeah, Pretty- th- that's what it. Uh, that's definitely what it appears. Because um, I mean, like you said, they, he gave them a wish list, and they've already crossed off one of them. Wouldn't be surprised if they crossed off another one with Randall Cobb here pretty soon. Um, yeah, yep. I mean, Aaron Rodgers could be the Jets' quarterback by the end of the week. Yep, but. Um, no, the uh, you know getting back to the Saints, man. Um, with, with Jameis Winston, I, I think you know obviously number one, um, he's probably you know other than guys who lost their their starting jobs uh, and are sitting the bench, but he's probably one of the highest paid you know backups uh, in the league at eight million a year. So I don't think he was going to get that anywhere else. But you know, a lot of times I think the reports that we read about maybe aren't what's really transpiring, you know, in the locker room and, and between the coach and player. And uh, I think maybe there was a little bit too much speculation on the part of how, how damaged the, the relationship was. So look, I'm, 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 I look, honestly, myself, you can't tell me there's 15 other starting quarterbacks in the NFC better than, than he would be on some of those teams. But, if that's what he wants to do. And, and as Foot said today earlier, sometimes it's more than just um, the opportunity to start. You know, sometimes it, you, you, you just like the city you're in. You like the, 
the, the community, the, the, the church, the, the family structure. There's more life than just, you know, football at, at one. And, and, and honestly, he's still really young. I mean, um, if, if Derek Carr pans out, he's, he's basically, I know it's a, a more than that, but basically the guaranteed money's two years. And if two years Derek Carr doesn't work out, you know, Jameis might, you know, might step in and have an opportunity. So, uh, look, I, I, I welcome it. I, I always want a, a capable backup. I don't, I don't want to see an Ian Book uh, or a Chase Daniels on the sideline holding a clipboard, you know. So um, I, I hope it works out for him. And um, as far as all the other losses yesterday, the only one that really stinks to me a little bit is Caden Ellis. And, and um, even that, I'm not sure if that last year was just a, an opportunity that he – cashed in on or if he was just kind of blossoming you know but he definitely to me is is is, is the biggest of a loss yeah. at this point so, for sure for uh, sure enjoy the show man and just one last thing how would you feel about sheldon rankins coming back on a on a on a team friendly deal at defensive tackle it, since he knows the system so it, it i'll take it take care man appreciate it ralph yeah for for, for rankins i'd be okay with it um, it would it would probably have to be for the vet minimum, uh, if I'm New Orleans, just because of his age at this point. But it's an interesting concept. I mean, the Saints definitely need d- defensive tackles after yesterday, so I, I would take it. Uh, like I said, um, just for the the familiarity that he has with the system in in New Orleans. Uh, let's go to the hotline now, Mr. Green. What's going on? Hey, Mr. Miguez, how you doing today? I'm doing well, sir. How are you? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. I wanted to uh, go in on the Saints talk, and, man, they they lost so much on defense. Of course, some of it was, you know, constant injury, too, so I guess it's not extremely overdone. But uh, I wanted to go and, and, and ask you two questions. Number one, with Jameis coming back, now they actually have another player – that can possibly be traded. Do you think they'd be open for a trade? And then, uh, in honor of my dad on Pi Day and, and a bad joke, what do you call a snake that's exactly three point one four meters? What do you What do you call them? Python. A python. Yeah, that's actually really good. That's actually <laughs> anyway, really I good. Wanted to, wanted to present that question to you guys, and I'll uh, I'll listen to what you have to say. Thanks. Appreciate the call. So. In talking about, I'm assuming we're talking about a trade for Jameis. Yeah, since him coming back, using him as a potential trade to get mate. more trade assets. Yeah. Saints, Saints have never been big on selling. No, they haven't. But I, I don't think that they would decline if, listening. If, if a deal was sweet enough to where they're like, okay, like I think, we, I think we lose would... our backup, so then. We're in kind of a predicament if Derek Carr does go down, but you get like if you get a day two pick, you know when that question will be. You answered? feel you feel a lot better about it. For me, you know when that question will be answered. If you draft a quarterback, if you draft a quarterback in this year's draft, mm-hmm. then I then feel you feel like, more inclined. I feel like the Saints will listen to offers for James Winston. If it, if it's sweet enough, they'd be more inclined to actually make the deal. Yeah, I don't see a deal ever happening for someone to be like, "Oh, we're desperate enough to go get Jameis Winston." I'm not saying that it's not possible, but the likelihood is very low. 
So I wouldn't I wouldn't count my chickens on that happening. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. We got a great show lined up for you today. Ryan Shumpert coming on to preview Tennessee versus Louisiana, as well as Tyler Batiste coming on to talk about the world of the NBA. The Pelicans play the Lakers tonight. We'll talk about that game during the show today as well. We'll take a timeout when we return. We'll hear from Will Wade in his introductory press conference. Plus, did Lamar Jackson just debunk all conversation of him denying a contract extension from the Ravens? We'll do that next. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. It's crawfish time in the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles has given you the chance to win everything you need for the ultimate crawfish boil with the game's ultimate crawfish boil giveaway cooked up by St. Landry Lumber, Cody's Crawfish, and Iron Horse Sales and Service. Go to the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com and you could score a $500 Visa gift card, a boiling pot, a burner, a paddle, ice chest, tumblers, chairs, and two giant sacks of live crawfish. Plus, we'll throw in a pair of Astros tickets. Enter now for the ultimate crawfish boil giveaway cooked up by St. Landry Lumber, Cody's Crawfish, Iron Horse Sales and Service, and the game. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time, 422, almost 423. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. Hit us up on the game hotline, 337-706-0111. There's a report out that Lamar Jackson was offered a $200 million fully guaranteed contract in September that he declined. Well, now Lamar is saying that that deal, that report is also untrue, saying that the According to his Twitter post, it appears that he's saying that the contract was that was offered was for three years at $133 million fully guaranteed. Which at that point makes me feel like he, he didn't take that one because if you do the math, that's $44.333 million a year. So it's a hell of a lot for a guaranteed I think what he didn't probably enjoy was, was how short it was. It's only three years. I feel like with him, he'd want a little more commitment from Baltimore and want it to be four or five years. But I also think maybe it was the incentives and the bonus that he didn't like as much either. Because he's he's probably not necessarily looking exactly for a fully guaranteed contract like Kirk Cousins or Deshaun Watson. Like he want he wanted the bonuses to be better and the incentives. And I feel like even though we don't know what it is, if I had to guess, it was the length and the bonus slash incentives to go along with the contracts, not just the guarantee, because forty four would put him at top of the list, near the top of the list each year annually. But another reason that this report would make sense from Lamar's point is ever since the negotiations began what you've heard is that the two parties are about $100 million apart. Mm-hmm. 130, so, 133 and 200 It's about 70 Yeah. So and, and, about. And even if you want, so you even could do it like this where it's like, okay, well, 
maybe it's not 44 per year and you lower it to about 40 and you add the 100, but then you throw in the bonuses to where you get to about 240, 250 for five years. The Baltimore Ravens have till July 17th to get Lamar to a long-term deal. Otherwise, and, and, you, and, and you know what's great? It's not like they feel pressured. They don't. Because they, they already got Lamar to sign that tag. Correct. So if another team wants to go and try and sign them. Oh, Baltimore's just going to sit back now. And yeah, wait for they're like, oh, in. play yeah. it right into our hands. They're, they're just going to wait for offers to come in. And when there's one that they like, they'll go, okay, we'll match that. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Appreciate you. Oh, yeah. So things will get interesting. Baltimore can't really lose necessarily in this situation. <laughs> no, no, uh, not, not really. They are playing chess right now. Yesterday in Lake Charles, Will Wade was introduced as the new head coach for McNeese. And he talked about a ton of different things from the transfer portal to, you know, pressure as a new head coach to maybe win immediately and things of that nature. But the biggest conversation that was had, why McNeese and why now? Yeah, I think there's, 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 three main reasons one this facility this area you know supports this i mean one of the things that stood out to me was we came in eighth place and we led the league in attendance and i mean that shows that there's major 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 support here and you know we've got to galvanize that support and and earn that support by how we play and and how we how we how we interact in the community but I think number one is the, the, the community support. Number two is the administrative support. I mean, when you sit down and you meet with, with uh, you know, with, with Dr. Burkell and, and with uh, Dr. Roos and with, with Coach Schroyer and with Miss Bridget, and, and I mean, you sit down and meet with them. I mean, they, they, there's a passion these people have for, for McNeese and for Southwest Louisiana. And I mean, you can't fake that. There's nothing fraudulent uh, about that. And so, you know, when you have that, when, when you've got community support, then you've got some administrative support, and then you look around and, you know, almost every other sport wins at a really high level relative to, to where we are. And, you know, why can't we do that? We have everything in place to do it. It's time to make it happen. I love what he said there. You, you know, you talked about the community support because when you look at McNeese it really is incredible to think about the Cowboys finished eighth in the conference eighth place out of 10 third to last but you led the league in attendance if 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 that's not a loyal fan base I'm not really sure what is let's go to the game hotline now Ryan what's up Hey guys, thanks for taking my call. And now I, I think that's fake news because either the attendance at other Southland schools are just god awful, or they must be counting tickets that they gave out for free to like the plants around here or radio stations because nobody goes to a McNeese basketball game. I'm telling you, nobody in Lake Charles before Will Wade got hired cared about McNeese basketball. Not one bit. Well, I, I can only speak for the one game that I attended this season, 
in in the Legacy Center, but it was it was a pretty good crowd. I tell you what, though, I mean, this whole Will Wade signing, even though he's going to be suspended for the first five games next season, it's it's got me excited about McNeese basketball, and I haven't been excited about McNeese basketball since they made the NIT a long time ago when Boston College came to town. So I would imagine they're going to make money hand over fist over this Will Wade signing just in beer sales alone at the Legacy Center. But, uh, yeah, great hire, and Hugh Schroyer deserves a big old bronze statue in the Legacy Center. No, I I agree, man. I absolutely agree. Appreciate the call. Thank you. So before we get back to the Will Wade thing, James, you know I'm a soccer guy, right? I'm a big old soccer guy, and I'm a big Manchester City fan. Yeah, and Holland going crazy. Right now the UEFA Champions League is going on. It's the second leg right now. They're playing Ebe Leipzig, leading 6-0 in the 69th minute. So Man City has six goals today. How many does Erling Holland have? Cinco. Five. Five of them. But you know what's funny? When Manchester City signed him last summer, you know what everybody said? He won't fit. He makes them worse. They should have kept Sergio Aguero. Blah, blah, blah. Five goals in a Champions League match? Please. You're kidding me. That is insane. But continuing the Will Wade conversation, he's already met with his players at McNeese. So the question was asked, what'd you tell your players? You know, I just talked about, really what I talked about was our standards. You know, um, let me start by saying this. I mean, I've known Coach Aiken a long time. I've known him since he was the head coach at Bellhaven University. We'd go have lunch when I was in town recruiting kids at UT Chattanooga when he was at Bellhaven. He's a friend of mine. We're going, we're going to eat this week together. Um, you know, some of what happened here, some, some, some tough luck, some injuries, some of the transfers didn't really pan out. I think the high school kids have been pretty good. But when you get in that portal, like, you got a hit on that portal. And we, and we hadn't panned out. Um, but having said that, you know, I don't think our, you know, anywhere you take over, there's, there's obviously issues because I'm here. My message was our standards aren't good enough across the board. I mean, everybody watches film, everybody practices, everybody gets in the cold tubs, everybody does that. But it's the standard at which you do that. Do you, are you a foot short of the line? Do you touch the line or do you cross the line? Well, we're going to cross the line. We're going to be a foot over the line because other teams in our league are going to touch the line. And the bad teams in our league are going to be short of the line. And so it's the standard with which you do all of those things. So we really talked about our standards and how the standards were going to be changed and how the standards were going to be raised and what the expectations were, uh, you know, moving forward within the, w- w- within the program. That, that was what that was my main message is that the, you know, the standards are, the standards are changing. I think, the, I think that's, I think my message to the team is a microcosm of, you know, I don't want to speak for Heath, but the athlete, I mean, we're trying to change the standards here at McNeese. We'll take a timeout, talk more about Will Wade, plus bring you more of the Derek Carr introductory press conference from over the weekend right here on the game. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 
This March, take your first shot at College Hoops with FanDuel Sportsbook and get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets up to $200. That's right. Just bet 20 bucks on the bracket and you'll land $200 in bonus bets whether you win or lose. That's 200 that you can spend betting on everything from the money line to point spreads to even that 5 to 12 matchup that I know you've been eyeing all on an app that's safe, secure and super easy to use. There's no better place to bet the tournament than FanDuel Sportsbook. Go sign up today by using FanDuel.com slash KLWB and make every moment more with FanDuel all tournament long. You must be 21 and older and present in Louisiana and permitted parishes only. First online real money wager only. $10 deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. And if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, Call 1-877-770-STOP. This is Crunch Time, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 438 on your Tuesday. Welcome back to Crunch Time. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. You know, we'll get back to the Derek Carr press conference now from over the weekend. And when talking about Derek Carr and his relationship now, what his relationship is going to be with Saints receiver Michael Thomas, Michael Thomas was part to an extent of the recruiting process of Derek Carr. And Derek Carr was asked about that over the weekend, and he said, quote, I love Michael Thomas. Yeah, I would say, I mean, really just in the recent has been the most we've talked. You know, obviously as players, we know each other and have a respect and all those kind of things, right? Um, and you have a lot of those relationships throughout the year. But, you know, me and, me and Mike, we've you know gotten close through this process and talking. And, you know, the first time I talked to him on the phone, I don't think he wanted me to get off the phone, you know. I, I really enjoyed talking to him. And I, I told Mickey, I was like, you talk to Mike Thomas, and you feel like you two could go out there and face the world. You know, I, I told my wife when I got off the phone, and she was like, why are you smiling? I was like, I love this guy, <laughs> you know. He's so competitive, you know. And, uh, you know, I think just the energy that he brings, you know, uh, it would be a very exciting times to throw him the football for sure. So, um, you know, when, when he started recruiting and talking to me and all that, he, he wouldn't even, like, try and recruit me. He's just like, hey, when are we getting to work? We're wasting time, you know. Uh, you know, time's ticking, you know. I, and I was like, yeah, I feel the same way. But time, t- we'll get there. But, uh, you know, I think that our relationship has grown through this process, and I look forward to hopefully making that relationship grow even stronger. Is Mike even ready to run routes? Is Mike even healthy enough to work out with Derek Carr? That's what, that That's the thing. Mike's like, oh, we're wasting time. Mike, can you even run a route right now? Or are you still in a boot? Because that's the thing. We've heard about his contract, but we haven't heard a word on Mike's health status. Where is he? Is he going to be 100% for September? We don't know. But one thing that Derek Carr did, uh, another thing that he did go into that a lot of people had questions about when you first heard Derek Carr's name linked to the Saints, it was going to be a trade for a third-round pick. That didn't happen. He gets released. He ends up signing with the Saints. 
Why did the trade not happen? Honestly, no. Um, I was very willing uh, to accept a trade, um, but I was only able to talk to one team. You know, I was only given permission to talk to one team. And so um, as much as I love and respect the guys, uh, you know, Dave and, you know, Josh over in, you know, the Raiders, like, I was like, it's not, I can, how do I make that decision when it's the only time in my career that I've been, could possibly be free? I can't possibly make that decision, you know, um, you know, without being able to talk to other people. But I still almost made the decision, you know, like I, you know, I felt so much love here, like I still almost did it. But at the end of the day, I just felt like I knew that when I sat here, um, I wanted to be able to, you know, look my kids in the eye and look my wife in the eye and know that I did everything in my power. I asked every question. I went through every process to make sure I tried to make the best decision for our family, us together. And so um, I wasn't closed off to it at all, you know, which was, you know, maybe shocking to some people, you know, but I, I wasn't closed off. Like, I was willing to work, and, but I just was only able to talk to the Saints. Um, but it worked out. And lastly, Derek Carr talked about how he's going to do everything he can to lead this offense for New Orleans, but he can't promise any wins. It almost feels like that college feel again, like you, like this the whole city, like you're they're in it with you, you know. And uh, again, the city has been unbelievable to my family so far. Like my wife and I were talking about last night, we've literally been just blown away, um, you know. And hopefully, we can you know win for them and make more fun times. I, I can't promise wins, but I can promise you a great effort, and I can promise you that. And so I'm excited to go out there and compete as hard as I can with my teammates, and hopefully, give them what they want to see. Seven zero six zero one 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 is the number to call on the game hotline. We got to look at some March Madness play-in games tonight. There are two on the schedule for the round. the The first four tonight's matchups: Southeast Missouri State against Texas A&M Corpus Christi. McNeese familiar with Texas A&M Corpus Christi. Uh, they, they played each other not, not that long ago. That'll be a battle for a 16 seed. And then Pitt and Mississippi State will be the other matchup. Looking at the first one, A&M Corpus Christi, a three-point favorite in that one. James, do the Islanders beat the Cardinals? I'm going to go Yes. Yeah, I, I'm leaning towards the Islanders. Um, you usually seen them a couple times, being able to beat the Cowboys throughout the season. Uh, even though maybe it's because I've seen a little more of them, I'm more willing to go with them. But also the fact they are the three point favorite. Not only that, but you look at the team breakdown between the the two programs and about where they finished in their conferences and just kind of how they match up. You look at a guy for Texas A&M Corpus Christi like Terrian Murdix, who is averaging 5.4 assists per game, good for 23rd in the country right now, uh, just facilitating the ball very well. They score at a high rate, and they're also winners of four of their last five. Southeast Missouri State coming into this winners for their last five as well. But their competition pool just isn't quite what it is for Texas A&M Corpus Christi. So 
I'm going to go with the Islanders over the Red Hawks in this first matchup. And then in the second one, I've got to go Mississippi State over Pitt. Although, Pitt has been playing really well as of late. So, I'm interested to see how that's going to play out. But let's go to the game hotline now. Chris, what's going on? Hey, what's up, buddy? Uh, Just want to talk a little bit about Saints free agency and what I'm seeing so far. Uh, I do like the car move. I think that he was the best um, quarterback out there uh, as far as, you know, what was still left. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was surprised. I want to know what you think about a couple of players. I was surprised that Jameis Winston ended up coming back uh, only because there's a couple of teams out there. I felt that he could immediately – Gone and being uh, a starter or helped even help groom a rookie quarterback. So I'd like mm-hmm. to get your thoughts on that. Um, it looks like our defensive line is being depleted a little bit through free agency. So I'm expecting that we're going to be taking uh, some rookie defensive linemen. But there's a guy out there, Booger Nation, Leonard Fournette. I want to know your thoughts on on is he worth bringing in for on the cheap for a one or two year deal? Being that Camara is, you know, we don't know, we don't know uh, as far as a suspension or anything. And I'm hanging up and listen, and uh, I'm watching you on TV. So keep up the great work. Later. Appreciate the call, man. I really do. Um, the Jameis Winston move, yeah, I was a little surprised by that. I agree with you. I thought that there was a couple of teams that could have brought him in as a bridge quarterback to to groom a rookie. Uh, so I was a little surprised by that move. And then the the defensive line look. I'm going to be real honest here. Saying that the defensive line is being depleted might be a little bit of an understatement. After yesterday's moves, there is now one defensive lineman on the Saints roster. And I don't even, I'm going to be totally honest, I don't know who the cat is. His first name is Prince. I, I don't, I don't even, I haven't even heard of this guy. But And that goes to show you just how quickly free agency can tear your roster apart. So there's no doubt in my mind now. I, I, I went back and forth with it for a couple of days. But now there, there's no doubt in my mind. Pick 29, you're taking a defensive lineman. You're going to have to. You, you, you might even acquire one in free agency as well. Uh, because you you need about four of them, at least, to fill out that that group. Because you, I mean, you need two or you need two on the front line, you need two backups, and then probably wouldn't hurt to have one guy on the practice squad. So you, you need you need five defensive linemen. Um, so definitely going to go heavy on the defensive line front now, and then the Leonard Fournette thing. I don't hate the idea of him coming back to Louisiana, and and I think that there's still some tread left on those tires, but I'm not overpaying for him. Now, if Leonard wants to come in on a vet men or slightly over the veteran minimum, three, yeah, like, like three a- four million a year, maybe. Maybe I'd look at it then, because what's the vet minimum? Two and a half? Something like that. I think I think it's two and a half. Um, so yeah, I mean, if he wants it, if he says four, maybe I would look at that. Uh, but but anything north of that, 
you you're, you're pushing into you're pushing into the wrong territory at that point um, because he's proven over the last two years that he struggles to stay healthy. If you're gonna go get someone like Leonard Fournette, then you still need to make sure you go get someone at least somewhat early in the draft to go get a running back. Yeah, or even then go get another free agent running back then, because you can't with when Kamara goes out. You, I just don't see how you can lean on Leonard Fournette for 20 carries a game and expect him to put up damn near 100 and get you a touchdown every game. Because you didn't even see that with Tampa last year. No, you didn't. Um, so I'd I'd be open to the idea again, like I said, but I just I have to see what the numbers would look like for a guy like Leonard Fournette. And even though you still have Prince and Millie right now, I could still see the Saints bringing back Kentavious uh, Street because whenever we saw him on the field. He did pretty well. He didn't do too bad. I could see, I could see you signing him to another one year deal that's pretty low in salary, like how they had done last year when it was one point two. Like I could I could see them doing that again. When a rookie that is on a reserve slash future deal is the only defensive tackle on the roster, you're also waiting for Demar or not Demarco Jackson, uh, right. Jordan Jackson. You're you're waiting for Jamar. You are Jordan Jackson to come back because that you was are. your seventh rounder last year. But out of yikes. army, yikes! Yikes! We'll take a time out. Wrap up hour number one right after this. This is crunch time on the game. One zero three seven Lafayette and one zero four one Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The number one ranked LSU Tigers return to Alex Box Stadium tonight to take on UNO. Pre-game begins at 6, first pitch set for 6.30, and all the action will be brought to you right here on the game, courtesy of Artco Equipment, Arsenal Machine Supply, Bubba Ocelet Toyota Ford, Cybers Bayou Casino, Iggy Castile State Farm, Attorney Paul Brown, The Bank, and Service Chevrolet Cadillac. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Slings it far side. Stanley steps inside the receiver and picks it off. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. A shot to left field. Going back on it's Gordon. He'll look up at the goner. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Welcome back to Crunch Time. Wrapping up hour number one here in the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. I do want to correct myself. Jordan Jackson, he is actually not on the Saints, not on the practice squad or anything. He's actually with the Denver Broncos now, and he went to the Air Force, not the Army. So, still only have Prince Emily. So, apologies there. Also, do want to talk about the poll question of the day. We didn't get to it. We had kind of done our own with Pi since it is Pi Day, 3.14. But which Saints free agent loss hurts you the most? Is it Marcus Davenport leaving, going to the Vikings? Is it David Onyemata or Caden Ellis following Ryan Nielsen to go play for the Falcons? Or is it Shy Tuttle going to the Panthers? It's Onyemata and Caden Ellis going to the Falcons. Yeah, that one hurts because it was it was pretty much a twofer. And it, it's, it's just the fact that you went to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Like, I understand guys moving on, going to different teams, whatever. That's fine and dandy. Atlanta. And also, those were the two that made the most impact on the team out of the four. Because even though David Onyemata didn't have his best year last year, 
He's de to me, he was more productive for sure than Davenport and Chai Tolo since he played more than Chai, if yep. I'm not mistaken. And then Caden Ellis, whenever Pete Warner was injured for that amount of time, him stepping in and you were like, wow, wow, this guy could really be a dynamic piece. You're upset because you're like, oh, that, there goes your depth. And you're kind of almost wondering like, oh, God, is this like 2020 all over again? Like, are you going to lose, like, kind of treating this like Trey Hendrickson when it's like, look, he was going to be the reserve anyway. Right. Like, he's going to be the starter for the Falcons. You're not, you weren't going to pay Caden Ellis what the Falcons paid him to be your third linebacker when you're usually running a lot of nickel and dime, which calls for five corners and you're still doing four down linemen. So then at that point, you've only got two linebackers. So, I mean, could Pete Warner or Demario Davis easily get injured? Sure. But you're not going to pay him that you're not going to pay him starting linebacker money to be your reserve. No, for sure. For sure. Um obviously it stings to let him walk away, but 7 million dollars a year it's just not worth it if you're if you're the Saints to pay him that much. But uh, especially when you still got Pete Warner on a rookie deal. Defense has now become a priority for New Orleans not only in this back half of free agency, but into the NFL draft as well. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two, we're going to kick it off with a preview of the Tennessee Volunteers as they will play the Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns in the NCAA tournament on Thursday night. Ryan Shumpert will join us to do that right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome to hour number two of Crunch Time right here on The Game. It's Southwest Louisiana's sports station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, the game hotline is 337-706-0111. Broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company specializing in new multifamily construction. In hour number one, we touched on Michael Thomas coming back to the New Orleans Saints on an incentive-laden deal. We also talked about Will Wade being introduced as the new head coach for McNeese men's basketball. Heard from his presser yesterday inside the Legacy Center. We also previewed the play-in games today for the NCAA tournament. Two today, two tomorrow before everything kicks off on Thursday. Here in hour number two, we're going to preview the Cajuns game tonight as they take on Jackson State. We're also going to look at some more NFL free agency deals. And we'll have a conversation with Tyler Baptiste about the world of the NBA but before we get into all of that, we're talking NCAA tournament, March Madness, everything is fantastic. Let's go behind enemy lines. Tennessee Volunteers will be the opponent for the Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns, 23-10 and 10 on the season. They're without Zakai Ziegler. What does that mean for Rick Barnes and company? They came into the tournament as a four seed, Louisiana the 13 seed. You've seen a lot of upsets over the years with those matchups, 5-12 as well. So, and with Tennessee coming into this game on high alert, having struggled to end the regular season, could the Cajuns find a way to move on to the round of 32? Ryan Shumpert of Rocky Top Insider joins us now 
on the game hotline to talk about the Vols and preview the matchup. Ryan, thank you so much for taking the time on this Tuesday afternoon, man. How are you? I'm doing well. It's it's funny. I've been on here a handful of times talking some some Tennessee LSU, but no uh, Tennessee Louisiana Lafayette. So a little different angle, and certainly a very exciting time to be be talking about college basketball. Yeah, you know, looking at Tennessee's season, they went 23 and 10, 11 and 7 in the SEC. Really got going later in the season until you hit a brick wall, losing four of the last five including falling to Missouri in the SEC tournament, 79-71. to 71. But now you got a four-seed in the NCAA tournament for Rick Barnes. They're matched up with Louisiana. Just kind of give our listeners a, a rundown of the Vols' year this year. It's been a very interesting year, and in large part because of, there's just been so many injuries. And I want to say it's only been like six or seven games the whole season. They've played with their, their full full rotation guys and really it's been full starting lineup because most of the guys that have had had injuries have been main guys and that'll continue to be the case uh, going into the NCAA tournament so this is a team that was playing really well uh, played well early in the season won the battle for Atlantis uh, beat Kansas in the championship game there uh, lost uh, really an early game second game of the year to Colorado one that they, they shouldn't have let Shouldn't have lost in the non-conference play, and they lost a close game at Arizona. So, you know, kind of going into the SEC play, it was a against a strong non-conference slate. They played well. They played well in January outside of a home loss to Kentucky that was kind of a surprise. But, uh, and then they capped off January with a win, a pretty impressive win, I should say, in the Big 12 SEC Challenge against Texas. And in February, I think after that win, they climbed – all the way up to number two in the country, and in February, which is a very bad month for Rick Barnes' basketball team. And uh, in large part, it was because it was a back-heavy schedule. That had a lot to do with it. But Tennessee did not play well down the stretch of the season. They lost, uh, I, wanna, I believe it's six games from February on in the regular season. That last loss against Auburn was technically in March, and then uh, they went one-and-one one in the SEC tournament. So it's a team that enters the NCAA tournament that's not playing at a particularly high level. Um, but, you know, it's March. They're trying to figure some things out. And uh, certainly, I think, you know, they're a four-seed still. They're capable of making a run to the second weekend. But certainly not a team that comes into the NCAA tournament playing its best, which is kind of the opposite of how Tennessee was last year when they uh, had lost one game in February and won the really – trailed for less than 40 seconds in the SEC tournament on their way to, to winning that for the first time in 40 years. So it, uh, on the Tennessee side of things, it's kind of a, a flip of where they were last year, and they entered the tournament not playing particularly well. So one thing that I find interesting is you just talked about how they're not playing their best basketball coming into the tournament. Do you think that that puts them at an advantage or a disadvantage in the tournament? Because sometimes you'll see a team that didn't finish the regular season very strong kind of get that spark lit in the tournament and then sometimes you'll you'll see teams just continue that bad stretch of play so what do you do, do you think that makes them more susceptible to be upset yeah, i think it does and you know certainly i think the the alternative of, of them playing well is you know certainly a possibility they have the talent level they've shown it this year but uh, i do think they're susceptible to an upset and i think this is a Kai Ziegler injury, the starting point guard, sophomore, who tore his ACL uh, back the second to last game of the regular season against Arkansas. That's hurt this team in a lot of ways, and I think maybe the most prevalent is 
he is the point guard, and in the end of the game situations, they've just been much, much worse. And he is really the one guy that is really good at beating his man off the dribble, playing in the pick and roll game, creating a shot for himself or others. And he's a guy in you know the last four minutes of the game, which granted, this is a lot of college college basketball, it's not the vast majority. You get to the end of the game, you have your guy, you have your guard, and it kind of gets put in their hands. And Tennessee just doesn't really have another ball-dominant guard who can create a lot of his own shots, and they don't really have a big man, at least a big men that have been able to do that with consistency. We've seen it at times from Olivier Kamwa and a little bit of less from Tobey Awaka and Yuris Plasic. But they're kind of lacking that one go-to shot creator, and I think that makes them, in an NCAA tournament game, susceptible uh, to being upset. So looking at the the statistics and, and the roster, Santiago Vascavi is a guy that, that really stands out to me, averaging nearly 13 points a game, shooting almost 37% from downtown on the season. With, with Ziegler being out with that ACL injury, has Vascavi kind of stepped up as the leader of this group, or has he always kind of been in that role? He really always has been in that role. I mean, Ziegler and Vescovi are their two best offensive players, and that's been the case all season. Uh, and I think what's it's just been really impressive how Vescovi has played because he's a shooting guard. He What makes him special besides just a three-point shooting is the way he is able to move without the ball. And there's all teams, and this is before Ziegler's injury too, teams put a lot of attention on trying to defend him and shut him down. And he's been very good at getting his own open shots, mainly not with creating the ball in his hands, but moving without the ball, coming off screens. He's been really good there, and since the injury, he's had to play a lot of point guards. Tennessee doesn't really have a backup point guard. So he is—he hasn't been the only one stepping into that role, but he's probably shouldered more of it than anybody else, and he's really just been fantastic. And the four games, uh, we're really counting the games, Ziegler got hurt in, which was just two and, two and at 54, I want to say, into the game. So very early in the game when he got hurt, he's had 14 points, 21 points, 15 points, and 17 points. He has shot... Uh, really well from the three-point range. He's at three or more threes in, in all four of those games. He had five and two of those games. So he's been playing really, really well. He's not overly athletic, so he can be susceptible to some ball pressure, but I think he's handled that probably better than I even expected him to. And he's there's a lot, a lot of offensive pressure on his shoulders now with Ziegler out, and that is from a scoring standpoint, and then certainly, like I was just talking about, running the point standpoint as well. And Vescovi has handled it better than I think anyone could have potentially expected him to. Another guy that's handled pressure well for the Vols is his freshman guard, Julian Phillips. I mean, nine points a game. He has started all but four games that he's played in, shooting the ball well. He's distributing the ball well. He he takes care of the basketball. What have you seen from Phillips kind of kind of running things for, for the Vols as a freshman? Yeah, you, you mentioned only the four games that he hasn't started, and those Three of those, since he's come back, he missed about four games in February with a hip flexor. And then since he comes back, I think he's been back now for three games. He hasn't started any of those. But he's played well in those games. And I think when you – it's been fun to watch his development over the course of the season. He's a guy that's good at getting to the basket, good at curling off screens and hitting some shots in the mid-range. And I think what stands out in this game is that, you know, just from the numbers, Louisiana is a team that fouls a lot of susceptible uh, to having guys get to the free throw line against them. Tennessee's team is not very good at getting to the free throw line, but Julian Phillips is the one guy who can pretty consistently get to the basket, draw fouls. Uh, he's 
six foot seven, plays on the wing, looks like an NBA wing with the really, really long arms. His shot still needs a little bit of work, a little bit of development. I think he's only hit 10, 9, 3, something like that on the season. Uh, but he is certainly a capable driver and kind of an X factor a little bit for Tennessee offensively. And then I think what he does in the defensive end really goes under the radar. It's been impressive to see him as a freshman be so versatile defensively, be so locked in, and really being one of those glue guys on one of the, in one of the nation's best defenses. Ryan Shumpert of Rocky Top Insider joining us here on Crunch Time. You know, you talked about Tennessee being one of the top defenses in the country. Louisiana, for most of the season, has been one of the higher-rated offenses in in the country. That's going to create a really interesting matchup Thursday night in Orlando. Will the Cajuns be able to score on the Vols? Will the Vols be able to stop the Cajuns? Where do you see that? How do you like that matchup? Well, I think it's probably somewhere in the middle ground. I will say I think Tennessee's not near the defensive team without Sky Ziegler. Uh, offensively, really, you know, for the fact that he is the one lone point guard, most the first 36 minutes of games, Tennessee's been just as good as offensively. It's really just been in those in-game spots where they've struggled without Ziegler. Defensively, I think they they lose a lot without him. You know, he's five foot nine, scrappy, very quick, great hands, great at forcing turnovers, getting kind of under guards and making them uncomfortable. They don't have another guy like that. So I think their defense has taken a lapse without him. I think a big part of it is just, or maybe the most notable part of it with him specifically is his ability to create turnovers, uh, which Tennessee hasn't done particularly well in the four games without him, or really the three games without him. They did against Arkansas. Though I think that if you've watched much Arkansas basketball this season, I think that was more of an Arkansas problem than a Tennessee credit. Where I think Louisiana matches up well and will be able to handle Tennessee's defensively is just having a guy like Jordan Brown. Tennessee's post defense is not fantastic. It's not to say it's bad, but it's not quite as good as it is on wings and on guards. And uh, the versatility is kind of what makes Tennessee great. They don't have one. Uh, elite guy down low. Jonas Adu has shown that potential at times this year, a sophomore big man, but he's been very inconsistent. He's a little uh, on the slim, slender frame as well, too. I think Brown's frame will give him issues. And you look at a guy like Jordan Brown, and I think typically if I see a big man on a team in the Sun Belt in the NCAA tournament uh, at a level like Louisiana, my thought is, all right, well, is he going to be overwhelmed by the length and by the athleticism of an SEC team? And kind of, and Brandon, I haven't break, breaking down a ton of film, but Terrence Lewis, who's obviously another key guy for Louisiana, kind of seems like one of those guys where he doesn't shoot the ball much. He's six foot seven. I could see Tennessee's length and athleticism giving him problems. Jordan Brown, I, I don't see that being a reality. Being a McDonald's All-American, having spent some time earlier in his career at Arizona, to me, he's a really, really impressive player and a guy I think is going to be able to score uh, against Tennessee, and I think uh, that has the potential to help keep Louisiana in the game and make it a 40-minute game. And, you know, when I, I just won in March Madness to begin with, if that happens, you never know what could happen. And, and certainly when you add in the stuff that I've talked about, Tennessee struggling late in games without Ziegler, uh, I think it just kind of adds to the possibility of an upset being at play. When you look at this matchup, you know, we, we love to talk about X factors and, and keys to victory. Let's kind of get into that now. For the Vols, who's the X factor Thursday night and why? I think Julian Phillips may be the, the easy answer for some of those reasons I just listed his ability to get to the basket because he has games where he scores four points, he has games where he scores 16 points. It seems like there's a, a good bit of variance there. Another one 
and I think the numbers probably back this up better than anybody else is Josiah Jordan James. He is kind of a similar game uh, to Phillips in the sense that they're both wings, they're both long, they're both versatile, but they score in very different ways. Phillips gets downhill and gets to the basket. James isn't particularly good at doing that, but he's a solid three-point shooter. He's good at getting to his spots really on the elbow, particular in the mid-range and scoring. And Tennessee's kind of gone as, as he's gone this season. He's been hurt a lot. Uh, he had what was a left knee injury early in the season that I think sidelined him for, I want to say, eight games. And then he had uh, an ankle injury that sidelined him for four games in, in February. So he's been in and out a lot. And since conference play begin, began, Tennessee is 7-0 and in games that he scores 10 points. They're 1-5 and in games he doesn't score 10 points. So he's kind of the guy that Tennessee – Seems to when he plays well, Tennessee plays well. When he doesn't play well, Tennessee doesn't play well. So he's a guy that I'll be interested to see if he's knocking down shots early in the game. And then some of those things I talked about where I think this matchup presents itself for Julian Phillips to potentially uh, have a big game. So those, those are two guys I would look at. Keys to victory for the Vols if they want to move on to Saturday in the round of 32. I think it's limiting Jordan Brown. I don't know exactly what that looks like, but I just think if he goes for you know, 22, 23 points like he did against Texas, like he's averaged a lot this year, like he's very capable of, I think this is probably going to be a 40-minute game that comes down to the wire. So uh, I think that's probably the number one thing I would say uh, on the offensive end and then de- or excuse me, on the defensive end for Tennessee. And then offensively, I think it's just not turning the ball over would probably be the number one thing I'd say. You know, Louisiana's defense isn't great, but they have been pretty good at uh, forcing turnovers, particularly steals uh, this season. So uh, that's an area I look out for Tennessee without Ziegler. They've had some really careless turnovers, uh, especially in the SEC tournament, both in the win over Ole Miss and then the loss to Missouri. Uh, some The pick six is the Rick Barnes likes to call, where uh, it leads to an e- easy dunk or layup for the opponent. And I think you've seen also Tennessee's transition defense take a knock with Ziegler out as some of those guys kind of adjust to not attacking the offensive glass and having to play a different role. So I think it's about taking care of the basketball for Tennessee offensively. And I think everything for Louisiana starts with Jordan Brown. And I think that means that's where everything's got to start for Tennessee defensively. Ryan Shumpert of Rocky Top Insider joining us here on Crunch Time to kick off hour number two on this Tuesday. Ryan, appreciate your time as always. Enjoy the run that Tennessee makes in the NCAA tournament, however far that goes. And, uh, We'll talk to you again when LSU and Tennessee meet up for baseball here in a couple weeks. Yeah, it's not too far away. Final four weekend, so I'll be looking forward to it. And there he goes, Ryan Shumpert of Rocky Top Insider. We'll take a timeout here. When we return, we will talk more NFL free agency news. Mike Thomas is back in New Orleans. That and much more coming up right after this. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The monster trucks are coming back to the Cajun Dome with the toughest monster truck tour returning this weekend, March 17th and 18th. And the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, has a VIP package for you. Enter in the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com. For four tickets, access to the pit area, a merchandise certificate, and lunch with the truck drivers that Friday. The Toughest Monster Truck Tour is coming back, and you could win a VIP package courtesy of the game. Let your voice be heard. 
Hello. Give us a call on the hotline at 337-706-0111 and speak your mind. Hello. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 523 on your Tuesday. Welcome back to Crunch Time. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. I can read the headlines now. The crawfish goes to Charlotte. Andy Dalton has signed a contract with the Carolina Panthers. Poor, poor Carolina. Veteran free agent quarterback Andy Dalton is expected to reach agreement on a two-year, $10 million deal that includes $8 million fully guaranteed. Contract's max value is $17 million. So, James, if you're Carolina, you now have Andy Dalton, and you have Matt Corral, and then you also have the number one overall pick. Is Matt Corral so bad that you're actually going to draft a quarterback number one overall? It's funny because they also had yesterday, if I'm not mistaken, they were like they threw it out there like, "Hey, uh, we're willing to trade, we'll trade Matt Corral. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll, tr- we'll trade Matt Corral." I and no one, no one's bit. Which is interesting. Maybe I was wrong about the kid, but I thought he would be pretty good in the NFL. So so at that point, whoever you're going to draft, whether it's Young, Stroud, or Richardson, because it's more... Or Levis. Will, Will Levis, possibly, but he's probably Carolina percentage of the four. Carolina would be the team to go Levis. They would. That would be a Carolina thing to do. It would also be a Carolina thing to just go get Richardson. Correct. That that's what I fully expect them to do is to draft Anthony Richardson number one overall. Yikes! So then at that point, I f- you would if you just can't get a deal for someone to just take Macarell, you're just gonna put him as the third string. Yeah, because who else? No one else has won a PJ Walker. So now that you, now that you have Andy Dalton, my question is this. You draft a quarterback number one overall. Usually you draft a quarterback number one overall with the intention that he starts immediately. Mm-hmm. But if you have Andy Dalton, is Carol is Carolina using a bridge system here? So pretty much what I think they're going to do is whatever quarterback that they take number one overall, they're just going to roll with him unless he's either that bad during training camp or in the regular season, and then they just... That way they still have somebody veteran presence-wise because they look at the NFC South. It's not that strong, even though the Saints look to be the favorite. Look at look at how it was last year. 8-9, so, 7-10, So in your opinion, this is a deal for Andy Dalton for him to be the backup? To be the backup and groom him. But if whoever they draft sucks that bad, then you just put him in and you just kind of do what the Saints did last year. God, and you would, just try to go on cruise control. It would be such a Carolina thing to do to just draft Anthony Richardson, a guy that you probably could have gotten at nine unless somebody panicked and, and grabbed him earlier. But I had, 
and again, I, I could be wrong about this. It's very it's very obvious that I could be wrong. I just don't see the fuss in Anthony Richardson other than the, the freak athletic numbers that he was able to put up at the combine. Let's go to the game hotline now. Jay, what's up? Oh, yeah, man. What you think of a quarterback college career? Completion percentage of 56% going in the top 10. What's your take on that? Um, I, I don't think that's very great. Well, that's Josh Allen, and Josh Allen was a top 10 pick. So uh, I think it's funny. That, you know, we don't look at what Josh Allen did in his career, in his collegiate career, at a lesser conference, but we can sit up here and we can, you know, poo-poo on Richardson. And don't get me wrong, I understand where you're coming from. I think, uh, to be honest with you, I think Richardson's a smoke screen. I see Richardson going in the third or fourth round or second. I don't even see him going in the top two. I just think he's just, they just threw his name out there just to kind of – Metal up the names because, you know, every year, last year, yeah, Malik Willis. People talking about Malik Willis was the first-round pick, and he went the third round. But I just think it's one of those things where agents just put a name out there. Hopefully someone can buy it. But Josh Allen, Josh Allen was a 56% at Wyoming, and he was a top-10 pick. So, hey, we'll see what happens. I just think it's funny. We, we never mentioned Josh Allen, his college uh, career, collegiate mm-hmm. career. But we, we keep pooping on Richardson. And I, and I think Richardson is overrated. So you have a good one, and uh, thank you. Appreciate the call, Jay. To be fair, if I'd have had this radio show when Josh Allen was coming out of college, I probably would have crapped on him too because I didn't think he deserved to be a top 10 pick when he got drafted. Was he a freak athlete at Wyoming? Yes. With the way he was able to run the ball? Absolutely. But Josh Allen in college reminds me a whole lot of Anthony Richardson in college. So who knows? Anthony Richardson might become a top five quarterback in the NFL, just like Josh Allen did. It depends on the coaching staff, though. But it to all build depends on the system. Who who selects him? That's what it really comes down to. And and look, could Anthony Richardson be a smokescreen? Absolutely. But talking about a guy that could very well go number one overall going in the third round, I don't know about that. That's a stretch. Now, could I see Anthony Richardson going mid to late first? Yeah. I think that's more fitting of, of where he should be. But we're, we're talking about a guy that, since he declared, his name has been in the mix for the top 10 pick. From the second that he declared for the draft. And now, with the way he performed at the Combine, and Carolina's going gaga goo goo over this dude there's a very real possibility that he gets selected number one overall. I'm just here to tell you now. I read a report earlier today that said Bryce Young was number three on Carolina's wish list. It was C.J. Stroud, Anthony Richardson, Bryce Young. And I've also heard that Carolina would be interested in trading out of the number one overall pick. So here's the other thing, and James, I want to get your take on this real quick before we take a timeout. Would you be surprised if Indy and Carolina did a switch where Indy went up to one to get C.J. Stroud and Carolina got Anthony Richardson at four? I could see it. Uh, Because before before even Carolina made the trade, I anticipated that Indy was going to go for the number one pick. And then... Chicago was going to drop down to three. And now now there's a rumor that 
Carolina wants to trade out a number one. So I would not be surprised if Indy said, look, we'll give you four and then we'll give you, you know, next year's second or whatever to move up. And I would I really wouldn't be because here's the thing. If you're Carolina and you're that in love with Anthony Richardson, you can still get him at four. Because if if Indy moves up to one, they're going to take C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young, either one of them. Houston at number two is going to take whichever one of those two guys didn't get picked. And then at number three, Arizona, they're probably going to beef up their defense and go either Jalen Carter or Will Anderson. So, boom, Anthony Richardson still falls to you at four. Everybody gets what they want, and Carolina gets one of the picks that they lost back. It's a win-win. Indy would probably be trading a lot more than just I next mean, year's second. R- realistically, probably. Like you're but, you're gonna probably if Indy's gonna do that, they're probably gonna give up something like what we've seen in the past, like how Chicago gave up a bunch to go from three to two. Or, be, or how the Eagles jumped up to go get Carson Wentz. Which would further prove my point as to why Carolina should do it. Yeah. Because get, you get, get your all your back. conversation back and you still get the guy you want. It's a no-brainer. Take a time out here. Tyler Batiste joins us next to talk the world of NBA right here on Crunch Time. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This March, take a shot at College Hoops with a no-sweat bet on FanDuel Sportsbook. It doesn't matter if you're new to FanDuel or if you already have an account. Right now, all customers can tip off with attorney with a no-sweat bet. Just sign into your FanDuel Sportsbook account to claim your rewards today. Or if you're new to FanDuel, go to FanDuel.com slash KLWB to get in on the action. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point spreads to that 5-12 to 12 matchup that you've been looking at. I'm going to take Alabama, take Houston, and take Gonzaga to all win their first round matchups. All on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. There's no better place to bet the tournament than FanDuel Sportsbook. Go to FanDuel.com slash KLWB to join now or sign into your FanDuel Sportsbook account to claim your no sweat bet today. Make every moment more with Fandle. You must be 21 and older and present in Louisiana and permitted parishes only. Bonus issued is not withdrawable bonus best that expires seven days after the receipt. Max bonus $5 unless otherwise specified. Restrictions apply. See full terms at Fandle.com slash sportsbook. And if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-877-770-STOP. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Back here on Crunch Time 538. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. In the world of the NBA, the New Orleans Pelicans play tonight against the Los Angeles Lakers. Anthony Davis returns to the Smoothie King Center yet again. LeBron James is out for the Lakers. Zion Williamson out for the Pels. But Brandon Ingram could come back tonight. Tyler Batiste, the managing editor of the NBA's athletic page at The Athletic, joins us now on the game hotline. Tyler, appreciate your time, man. How are you? Always doing uh, well, man. I haven't seen you since uh, our day out in Karen Crew. 
Yeah, man, it's 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 been a short minute. It's been a minute. <laughs> but uh, you know, we'll we'll start with the Pels and Lakers tonight. Always an intriguing matchup ever since that Anthony Davis trade. But this year it even means a little bit more because both teams are fighting for the same spot right now in, in the play-in tournament. How do you see this matchup shaping up tonight? It's tough to tell without Zion and without LeBron James um, coming in. These these teams are so evenly matched, as are you know eight or nine other teams in the Western Conference. Um, hopefully the atmosphere is going to be a, a pretty strong one in New Orleans. You can uh, kind of predict that to be the case when Anthony Davis comes to town, but for the Pelicans overall, I mean, this stretch over the next couple of weeks, if I'm not mistaken, they've got Houston a couple times. They've got a game against the Spurs. They've got a game against the Hornets, which is one of the you know the worst teams in the league. They really need to make some headway in the play-in race over the next couple of weeks before the schedule gets a little bit more difficult as we head to the final couple of weeks of the season. So hopefully for Pels fans, they get off to a good start uh, against a familiar foe and a foe that uh, they always kind of get up for in Anthony Davis. So we'll see what happens. Are you impressed by how Memphis has been able to stay afloat at second place in the Western Conference, even without Ja Morant, who was announced today is entering a counseling program down in Florida? Um, yes and no. I mean, uh, yes, uh, because you know when you use a, when you lose a star like Ja Morant's caliber, there's sort of an expectation that um, the team is going to kind of take a step back. But no, because when you look at their record without Ja Morant last season, they were actually pretty good and in um in terms of record wise i think even a better winner winning percentage without morant obviously you don't want to say that they're a better team when he's not playing but that unit with dylan brooks and desmond bain and and jaron jackson have all kind of proven that they can win games when necessary without their star player obviously that's not something that you want to see when it comes to the postseason and aside from that i think everybody is just you know whatever john morant has going on is, is far more important than whether or not the grizzlies are going to win games now, talking about that with, with, with the Jean Morant situation, how, how long do, do you expect that, that he's out? Does he return this season, or at, at this point is it better to just say, I'll sit out the rest of this year and be back next year? You know, I think the important thing is, is for him to get whatever help he uh, deems necessary, whatever help the people around him, the team, the league, his, uh, his family, his friends deem is necessary. Um, you probably want to be, uh, be in a situation like this where you, you kind of um, expect the worst and hope for the best. And so I would assume the Grizzlies are probably going forward thinking that, hey, we're not going to have our superstar player for these next couple of months. And if he does come back, they've won enough games throughout the course of the season that they're, they're, they're going to make the playoffs. Um, it's going to take a really far, far, far fall excuse me, for them to be out of the postseason completely. Um, and I think with the John Morant situation, with Brandon Clark's injury, with Steven Adams, being out as long as he's been, um, the Grizzlies are just kind of trying to stay afloat and, and thinking uh, long-term. Now, looking at the rest of the NBA, the Nuggets lead the Western Conference. The Bucks lead the Eastern Conference. But when you look at the Eastern Conference, it's so tight right now with the Celtics only two and a half back, the Sixers are three and a half back, and then you have Cleveland, who's seven games back. How entertaining is the Eastern Conference playoffs about to be here in 2023? Extremely, extremely. I mean, I think um, the Bucks were, were were kind of you know right on the Celtics' tail for for a large part of the season. They went on that 16 game winning streak that that catapulted them to the top seed. And the way Chris Middleton's been playing really well when he's been playing, um, I think that was kind of always the trump card that the Bucks had in their back pocket. Right? They had an All Star player and an Olympian who was just kind of a 
in the bullpen, so to speak, ready to go when the, when the games matter most. And now that we've gotten to March going into April, um, Chris Medicine's going to play a huge role for them. Um, I, I think those top three teams are going to be really fun. I was just telling a buddy of mine the other day that it's going to be really fun because the two and three seeds are going to have to play um, in the second round. So if we get a Sixers-Celtics matchup uh, in round two, that's, that's going to be a treat for the NBA fans out there. And then speaking about the Bucks, it was announced just a little while ago that Myers Leonard is going to be a member of the Milwaukee Bucks for the remainder of the season. It it never hurts to bring in a, a seven footer, right? Uh, especially a guy like Myers Leonard, who is who has proven to be a, a solid role player, little little mid range jump shot game. Obviously, post presence inside at seven foot. What does he provide on the side of Giannis for Milwaukee? Uh, insurance, I would say. Uh, you know, I think if the Bucks are clicking and, and running on all cylinders, Myers Leonard um, honestly probably doesn't play a whole lot. Uh, if you look at the Bucks front court with Middleton, um, with with Giannis and Brooke Lopez, and then you've you've got uh, Jay Crowder who they acquired um, at the trade deadline. Um, obviously, some other pieces on the bench. Myers Leonard is probably going to be somebody who might give them a couple minutes a game. Can uh, hopefully hit a jump shot every now and then, grab some rebounds, play some defensive. Brooke Lopez or Bobby Portis or, or Jay Crowder gets in the foul trouble, but um, I, I would say if Myers Leonard is, is playing uh, 25, 30 minutes a game, then then the Bucks have some other issues they need to worry about. Tyler Baptiste, the managing editor for the Athletic NBA, joining us here on Crunch Time. Tyler, what are some storylines in the NBA right now, or even just some teams that have really surprised you with either how well or how poorly they've played? Um, well, I think. The the way the Clippers uh, the Clippers and the, the Warriors I think those teams are are in the five and six seed right now in the West um, because it's the West that could change uh, by the time we all wake up in the morning but I think it's been interesting that when Kawhi Leonard and Paul George have played the Clippers have looked like um, this team with this championship ceiling that we've all been hearing about for the past few years they haven't kind of obviously haven't gotten to uh, gotten to experience that but I think if those guys stay healthy like they have been recently. They can be a really dangerous team to, that, that teams are going to have to worry about in the playoffs. And then you look at the Warriors, of course, Steph Curry just coming back from injury recently. They're 36-33 and 33 along with the Clippers. I would venture a guess that they are um, a 5 or 6 seed that no team uh, in the West would want to play, especially you know if the Warriors get matched up with Sacramento in the first round, kind of a battle of Northern California uh, for the Kings' you know first playoff series in 15, 16 years. I, I would imagine that they would uh, – they'd probably rather have a team uh, not named the Warriors to face. So this is a G League question, but I find it kind of interesting. Um, Scoot Henderson is a number two is projected to be the number two overall pick in the NBA draft. Uh, the G League at night Ignite announced earlier today that they're going to shut him down, saying that he has shown enough with his play. Are you are you surprised that they're shutting him down so early? Uh, no, I'm surprised it's taken them this long to do it, honestly. Um, I think Scoot Henderson has been um, a consensus top two pick ever since a couple of off-seasons off seasons ago. It's been Victor Wimbanyama, Wimbanyama and then, of course, Scoot Henderson. I guess there's been a little bit of talk recently about Brandon Miller from Alabama kind of maybe overtaking Henderson in, uh, for that number two role because of um, how he's played over the past month or so, but I think there's enough tape on Henderson that um, the only thing that could be risked with him continuing to play 
um, is some sort of injury. Um, G League Ignite is a great program to kind of put prospects into the NBA, but um, you know, wins don't really matter. Uh, you know, uh, I don't think anybody's gonna you know have some sort of strong celebration if Ignite wins some sort of title this year. It's all about development. It's all about getting those guys from that level to the next level. And uh, um, as G League said, uh, Henderson's definitely shown enough that. Um, his draft stock shouldn't be impacted by this. And, of course, he'll have the draft process, the combine and everything to kind of, um, you know, uh, cross some T's and dot some I's if needed. But um, I'd be shocked if he's not a, a top two pick at, at least, or at worst, the top three pick in the draft in June. The NCAA tournament getting underway tonight with a pair of play-in games, pair of play-in games tomorrow before the field of 64 gets underway on Thursday. Who are some favorites in, in your eyes, and then who are some – potential Cinderella's well my heart will tell me that Pitt plays tonight and they're going to be playing until uh April being a, a Pittsburgh resident but I don't know if that's completely realistic um I, you know I think Alabama as we kind of talked about um has a really good team obviously with Brandon Miller and and uh and, and Nate Oates coaching down there I've always I've liked what I've seen from Houston and Kelvin Sampson over the past couple of seasons you got to wonder if this is the, the team the season that they actually get over the hump they made the title game uh, not too long ago, and uh, obviously their their point guard Marcus Sasser is, is uh, injured his groin in the AAC tournament, so we'll have to see um, what he does if he's available to play when the uh, tournament actually starts. As far as kind of surprise teams, I think Arkansas is a team to sort of look out for. Um, they're in eight seed. I think they're in Kansas's region, which is not going to be um, easy. But you've got a team, you've got a coach in Eric Musselman who's been to the Elite Eight the past couple of seasons. They've Anthony Black and Nick Smith Jr., Jr., two guys who are projected to be lottery picks next season. In a tournament layout, you know, it only takes a couple of guys to get hot to kind of carry you through. Certainly have. Most of them are rolling. Um, you know, the only reason that Arkansas finished 8-10 and 10 in conference play is probably because Nick Smith didn't play for a large chunk of the season. So um, I think they're definitely a team to keep an eye out for. And I would say Connecticut as well, the four seeds in their region. They've played some really uh, strong games this season. They've played Marquette close a couple of times they've played them. they played Alabama um, uh, earlier in the season. I think they beat Alabama, if I'm not mistaken, or, or Houston, or one of those top teams. They, they actually have a window over so. Um, I keep an eye out for Connecticut as well. Connecticut always seems every nine or ten years to kind of go on a run and, and, and make a make a Final Four run or, or win a title. So they're, they're sort of due if you uh, look at their track record and their history. I've, I've seen a glass slipper or two hanging out in Lafayette. I'm just saying. Hey, man, I, I talked to my mom earlier today. She called me because she didn't realize that uh, UL was playing Tennessee, uh, and she and I uh, were on the alumni bus to that game in Birmingham in 2000 to – to watch you uh, play the Volunteers, they only lost by five in that game, or yeah. five or six. If because I'm not of, because so. of a phantom call. She's she's excited, so we'll see. Awesome, Tyler Batiste from the Athletic joining us here on Crunch Time. Tyler, appreciate you as always. Enjoy the craziness that is March Madness, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Thanks for having me. And there he goes, Tyler Batiste. We'll take a time out. Wrap up today's show right after this. This is Crunch Time on the Game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. We here at The Game know you love our shenanigans both on and off the air, and we want to help you help us. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at The Game Louisiana. Click the bell so you can get notifications when we post our new content as well as our game recaps. And once we get to 1,000 subscribers, you can see even more of our fun behind the scenes at The Game Louisiana on YouTube. 
from the Louisiana Raging Cajuns to the latest with the New Orleans Saints and Pelicans. Miguez and Mesh cover it all. I'm not worried. Uh, I think it's something that I can get under control. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 555, wrapping up today's show. Quick update from the NCAA tournament. Texas A&M, Corpus Christi, and Southeast Missouri State underway. 13 and a half left in the first half. The game is tied at 13. Great contest thus far for both teams. Southeast Missouri State shooting 56% early on, while Texas A&M, Corpus Christi shooting 44%. But Corpus Christi's already out-rebounding the Red Hawks 10 to 4 in this early contest. So, going to be very intri- intriguing to see how this one plays out down the stretch. Again, a 16 seed on the line here for either one of these squads. And then the night game, like Tyler mentioned a second ago, is Pittsburgh and Mississippi State. They're playing for an 11 seed in that game. And then tomorrow, two more first four games before the official tournament gets underway on Thursday. I want to take this opportunity to thank our guests today, Ryan Shumpert of Rocky Top Insider for previewing the Vols as they get ready to take on the Cajuns Thursday night, and Tyler Batiste, the managing editor for The Athletic NBA. On tomorrow's edition of Crunch Time, we'll bring you a preview of Hawaii women's basketball as they're going to fly all the way from Honolulu to Baton Rouge to take on Kim Mulkey's group Friday afternoon at 4.30 in the first round of the women's NCAA tournament. And we will also have even more sound bites from Will Wade, Derek Carr, and you'll hear from Matt Deggs, Bob Marlin, and Jerry Glasgow tomorrow as well. And so much more right here on Crunch Time for James Mesh. I'm Matt Miguez. Be safe, be well, hug your mom and them. Let's throw it out to Alex Box Stadium with the voice of the Tigers, Chris Blair, for LSU UNO right here on the game.